0: What well, is uh, good to again, continue to be together as we continue through this Seeking God's Direction uh, sermon series. This is a, a significant time in the history of uh, Trinity Bible Church as we are uh, headed into and, and in the midst of now a, a capital campaign and a, and a potential building project to follow from that that will, will set us up to keep doing ministry here in the Bow Valley for a long time. And the exciting part of this project is that it's it's reminding us that, that we as a church, we can make all the plans we want, but instead what we want to do is really lean in and ask God to lead us through this season. We don't want to run ahead of what he has for us, nor do we want to lag behind what he's calling us to go into and step into. And so we are trusting that that as we as we read his word, as we pray together, as we listen, he will guide us into this next season of ministry as the church. And so two weekends ago, two Sundays ago, we launched the, the capital campaign portion of the Seeking God's Direction project. And you can see the, the posters on the back that describe the project well. There's a, there's a booklet and a pledge card at the table at the back as well, and I'll direct you there. But also you can head to our website, trinitycanmore.com slash SGD, like Seeking God's Direction, and there's all sorts of information there as well. But the foundation of the whole project, the foundation of this whole thing, isn't the, the design which looks really good, and it's going to be distracting now that I can see it on the back wall there a little bit. It's not the building, it's not the, the dreams of what might be in that building and, and what might come from this. The foundation of the whole campaign is that is the foundation of everything we do. And that is the mission God has given each one of us as followers and us as a collective to be disciples who make disciples that make disciples. We've said at Trinity that our mission is, that the reason why we exist is to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. And so a building helps us do that. It's a, it's a tool in the process of getting there. It's a, it's a home base for us to work out of. It's a place for us to gather on weekends, yes, but also a place to, to be able to gather during the week. Uh, it's a place where we can have our, our groups meet. We can we can uh, host uh, other groups as well. Right from the beginning of the whole project, we said, how can we leverage this piece of property, the building we have on it, to to serve the town as well? And we're continuing to work on that. We're making some great, I think, great connections with the town to see how can we do that as well. You'll see on the design piece at the back and in the, the booklet that there are some spaces marked that, that could be a daycare. Uh, and if, if Canmore's home, you know how, how hard it is to find daycare spots. And so if we can somehow, uh, serve the town by creating some spaces for that, that would be amazing. But also as, as meeting places and, and gathering places during the week. The point of all of it, though, is that we want to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so last week we, we talked about the last couple of weeks we've talked about our mission and our vision and we keyed in on the verses last week of the of the great commandment the call to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and and love your neighbor as yourself. We talked about a Jesus as the light of the world and we talked about the, the vision of light bursting out the windows and blowing off the roof of this building, the vision of the lighthouse uh, of, of us as a. As a this building and us as a congregation being a, a lighthouse in the valley. And we use sort of those images, those those visions as, as a way to describe where we're headed. And that's why we started with that Rend Collective song this morning. Because we want to see the Bow Valley drenched in the light of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. And last week we also challenged one another to, to own the vision. That this, this mission we have to see people transform, this this vision of the light drenching the valley isn't just something that a few of us do and the rest of us watch, but it's, it's, there's a place for everyone. Every single one of us can step into a, being a light bringer here in the valley. During this time, we're also asking everyone that calls Trinity home to consider uh, what role God is calling you to play in this whole project. We're calling uh, ourselves to, to commit to a time of prayer and, and ask God to show us what we can do to make this next step, this building uh, project, this building tool, in our, uh, this next step in our history become a reality. See, because here's the thing, the, the, the transformed life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus and those of us who are not there yet but heading that direction, it looks different than the lives of those around us. The way that we manage our time, the way we manage our our skills and abilities and talents, the way we we manage our treasure, it looks different. And basically, ultimately, it looks different because we, we actually give up our right to manage those things ourselves to God. And we trust God to lead us. And so in a season like this, we're going to spend a few weeks uh, seeing what the Bible has to say about, about stewardship and generosity and how we manage our time and talent and treasure because that has a massive input and impact on our transformation. One of the, the pastors that has impacted my life and ministry over the years from afar has been Craig Grishel. Uh, he just released a book this last week called Dangerous Prayers, and uh, that may sound familiar because that was one of the first sermon series I preached here some two and a half years ago or so. But I was listening to him on a, a leadership podcast this week when he said this, specifically talking about our prayer lives, but I think it applies to us getting on mission as well. He says this, If we are praying safe prayers, like the examples he we gave were, you know, Bless this food, keep me safe as I drive to school, and end, and end. If we are praying safe prayers, we are probably going to be relatively faithless. If we're praying some more dangerous prayers, they're going to push us out of our comfort zone. And when we look at following Jesus, it's not to be a life of, uh, it is not to be a life of self-denial, self-sacrifice, and obedience. Not comfort, not more for me, me, me. He says that kind of preaches well in our Western churches, that, that uh, comfortable talking about me. But scripture often says something pretty different. He says, so in, in his book and in his ministry, he says, what I'm trying to do is to help people engage in an intimate, real, maybe even faith-filled, dangerous prayer journey with God. And so I think that applies to where we are too. We can, we can pray safe prayers, and those are easy and don't require a whole lot of faith to do all the time. But in this next season, what if, what if we ask God, okay, God, what are you up to? What do you want me to give up? Where are you leading us? What changes, what transformations in my life do I need to make? And so this is my hope for the next few weeks and for this campaign season and going into the future as well here at Trinity. We've set some uh, ambitious goals as a church, but we realize that absolutely God can make all of these happen and more, more than all we ask or imagine. But we as a church are going to have to learn to to lean in, to step out in faith, and to trust God in the journey. Through this season as well, I've been chatting with a mentor and friend, and he sent me this. He said, one of the greatest lessons that we can learn as human beings is the truth that our lives are not our own, and that we don't fully possess anything, and that everything we have comes from God, the giver of all true gifts. He says, remember Psalm 24.1 that reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all who dwell in it. That so we, we belong to God and everything we have comes from him. And this is true whether we follow Jesus or not. It's the difference, And the difference, he says, between someone who follows Christ and someone who doesn't is that those who follow Christ have acknowledged this truth and have surrendered everything to God. And he says it's amazing what God can do through someone who has given everything to him. And it's amazing what can happen through someone who is willing to do whatever God says to go do. And it's amazing what takes place when someone puts everything they are and everything they have at God's disposal to be used for the purposes of his kingdom. That's kind of the direction we're headed for the next few weeks here. And so this morning I want to begin uh, talking about sort of generosity and stewardship and and these things we've sort of intro with by putting our focus on God as the ultimate giver. And so let me start uh, a few minutes in, but let me start with a question. What comes to mind when I say the word generosity or generous? Feel free to help me. What comes to mind? Unselfish giving. Unselfish giving, okay. Anyone else? That was a really good answer. Sorry? Bountiful? Wow. Life? You guys are way deeper and way better than me. My note said money. That's, that's what comes to mind. If I'm perfectly honest, if someone comes to me and says, Sean, I'd love to talk to you about generosity, I'm pretty sure there's an ask coming. Right? That's so, wow, well, good. Thank you. You guys are further along here, Journey, than I am. As we start to dig into this, this idea, though, I want to shift the narrative maybe to where some of you already are, it seems. And and show two truths today. First, uh, generosity is way bigger than just our finances. Money and and giving and finances are are an important part of that, of course, but generosity goes beyond that as well. And second, uh, generosity never starts with ourselves. It always starts, uh, it never starts with what we do or what we give or, or how we do anything, but it always starts with God and has everything to do with God. And so if there's only one thing you hear this morning, let it be this. The source of all generosity is our generous God. We can be generous because He is generous. And all of our generosity is made possible by a loving God. And you've, you've maybe heard me use language like that before, saying, you know, our, our God is a generous God. And so uh, often when we're praying for the offering, I'll say something like, you know, we give because God has given us first, and we want to reflect that. But maybe you've wondered, uh, question number one for this morning, how can we say God is generous? Which is a great question. And so let me suggest there are are at least four proofs that God is generous, and we're going to look at them this morning. The first one, proof number one, that we serve a generous God, is creation. Francis, you do a great job of opening the windows every morning when you come in here, and they remind us that God is generous with us. Because, I mean, come on, look out the windows. All we have to do is look out the windows and we see this, this, this picture of this beautiful world that God has created. This beautiful uh, place that we live in, that we can, you know, we can drive an hour in any, any direction. Well, except maybe an hour east, it's let or what, east. It's less beautiful that way, I suppose. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. But we, we see this, this. Some of the most beautiful landscapes on the planet are right here around us. And I would suggest that that creation itself shows us that our God is a generous God. A couple of quotes. George Washington Carver said this of creation. I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. Uh, in Psalm 19, where we started, King David describes God's generosity uh, through nature like this. He says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their, world, their words to all the world. Louis Pasteur said, The more I study nature, the more I am amazed at the Creator. Uh, Stephen Hawking said uh, the odds against the universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications whenever you start to discuss the origins of the universe. And Freeman Dyson said the more I examine the universe and the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe in some sense must have known we were coming. It's amazing this place we live. This universe we are a part of is just so incredibly fine-tuned. Our planet itself is is located just the right distance from the sun so that we don't freeze or burn up. There's uh, often, maybe not so much this morning, lots of flowing water. There's favorable patterns of climate. There's soil that allows things to grow. Our atmosphere is the perfect blend of gases so that we can breathe. And a change of any of those things... And we're gone. It's over for us. It's like somebody went through a lot of trouble to make sure this was ready for us to be here. There's uh, an intelligent and generous designer behind all we see in the world that we look around us. Whether you go south to Waterton or west to uh, Castle Mountain or to the Kananaskis Lakes or Yoho or or anywhere, our blue skies, when they come out, and our, our lightning and hailstorms, they don't just happen by accident. There's someone behind it all. And that someone is incredibly generous with his gifts to us. And the Bible tells us right at the beginning that somebody looked around when he was done creating this universe and he said, this is good. This is very good. And so when we think about this creation and his creation around us, think about in the next 24 hours, chances are we'll take somewhere around 28,000 breaths and not think about Taking any one of them. This is is a gift from God. He is generous and creation proves it. Our second proof, uh, we've got creation. The second one is salvation, the saving work of Jesus. Think of the gift we were given some 2,000 years ago in the events between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, which is coming up and which we will celebrate with communion a little bit later in our service. This is what uh, Paul wrote about What took place on the cross and resulted in our salvation are being saved in Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 10. He said, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ and he takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundation, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. And what a pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted, to give us, he wanted us to enter into the salvation of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because his sacrifice, his blood poured on the altar of the cross. We are free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought about everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need. Letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. And he set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which uh, everything would be brought together and summed up in him. God is so generous to us by sending Jesus for us. Again, in in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion. and Think of the words to how deep the Father's love for us, which uh, Arnie and the team will lead us through. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his, fa- his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. If we go back to the Bible, consider maybe the best known verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, which we dug into a couple of weeks ago as well, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. As we talked about then we'll talk again today. You know what? You know what that eternal that everlasting life is? That's abundant life. God opened up his arms to send his son to earth so that anyone who believes in him might have this this all-encompassing, never-ending, beyond your dreams, more than enough life forever. And if that's not the ultimate generosity, I'm not sure what is. Cuz here's the thing, we are disobedient. We go our own way. We don't always trust in God's word and his work. And so we are, the Bible says, we are, we are dead in our sins and we're deserving of nothing. We decided we we're against God, aligned against everything he wanted for us instead. But God, Ephesians 2 says, God who's so rich in mercy, that he loves us so much that even though we were disobedient and dead and deserving of nothing, God who excels in generosity, he saved us and brought us to life with the same power that he raised Jesus from the dead. And then it says he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united to Christ. And all this happened, Paul writes, because uh, in the future ages he wants to be able to point to, uh, to us as examples of his incredible wealth and his incredible grace and kindness and generosity to everyone who believes it. It's Ephesians chapter 2. Salvation, this, this rescuing mission of Jesus, this gift from God is nothing less than a gift from an incredibly, infinitely generous God. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul summarizes his thinking on this whole topic around salvation, saying this thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And sometimes, maybe if we've been in or around the church for a while, we maybe take that for granted a little bit. I've heard that, we've done communion before. But we need to kind of just sit and, and soak in that a little bit. We can't let this, this proof, we can't let this demonstration of God's generosity be lost on us. I read one example uh, talking about this this way. He said, imagine you're, you're doing something for someone, a close friend, maybe a spouse, or one of your kids or grandkids, something really generous and kind. You've come up with this great plan. You've put t- together all the pieces of the puzzle to give them the experience of a lifetime. Whether that's maybe a, a helicopter ride over the Rockies or a trip to Disneyland or the perfect romantic dinner out, whatever it is. You've, you've got this maybe idea in your mind. You've got this perfect idea. You spent weeks planning this. You spent weeks pulling it off. Have you ever done something like that? One when, where you poured out all your energy and, and did everything you could and they just seemed distant or disinterested or unaccepting of your gift. How would that, how would that make you feel? Trying to pull off the perfect date and they're like, well, that... It's nice, I would have liked something else. I wonder what God is like when that happens. When we reject his most generous of gifts. When we hold him at arm's length or, or refuse him or push him away, thinking, you know what, I, I, I got this. So we've got two proofs so far, creation and salvation. The third proof is Redemption. We can add redemption to this list. And, and when I talk about this proof of redemption, I mean it's, it's, it's God's ability to redeem the tragedy and the brokenness in our world and in our lives. And I think we can maybe have some examples of this sort of stirring up in our hearts. But one I'll mention, uh, consider Joni Erickson Tata. She was 17 years old. This is 50-some years ago now. She went diving, and she hit her head, and she's a quadriplegic. 50, I think it's 52 years She's been dealing with a tragedy and she's had 52 years or so of watching God redeem these events in her life. And she was interviewed by Time Magazine a little while ago and here's what she said. She says, In the Psalms we're told that God doesn't deal with us according to our sins and iniquities. My accident was not a punishment for my wrongdoing, whether or not I deserved it. Only God knows why I'm paralyzed. Maybe he knew I'd ultimately be happier serving him. If I were still on my feet, it's hard to say how things would have gone. I probably would have drifted through life, through marriage, maybe even divorce, dissatisfied and delusioned. But when I was in high school, I reacted to life selfishly and never built on any long-lasting values and almost always at the expense of others. And a teenage girl asked her in the interview, but are you happy? And she responded, I am. I wouldn't change my life for anything. I feel privileged God doesn't give special attention to everyone to and and intervene that way in their lives. He allows most to go right on on their ways. He doesn't interfere, even though he knows they're ultimately destroying their own lives or health or happiness, and it must grieve him terribly. But I'm really thankful he did something to get my attention and change me. And you know, she says, you don't have to get a broken neck to be drawn to God. And then she wraps up with this and says, God wants to use our lives as blackboards upon which he chalks marvelous lessons about himself. What a a tremendous perspective she has. Now we have all experienced or are in the midst of tragedy. And we don't always know why or what or how God is, is up to in those moments. But there's so many other places in the Bible we can cling to. One is 2 Corinthians 1, 4, where we read that, that he comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. Uh, Matt Chandler, who's a pastor down in the States, went through brain cancer somewhat recently, and he says, you know what? God works in the mess. And the Bible has an uncanny ability to teach the realities of the gospel through the messiness of life. Again, we've all been impacted and shaped and have experienced tragedy. But it's amazing how, how time after time we can see examples of people shaped and transformed by God redeeming that tragedy. And as he does that, it is a clear and compelling demonstration that he is generous with us, that our tragedy is not the end, but he's at work. So we've got creation, salvation, redemption, the last one we're going to spend just a short time on is invention or uh, even kind of creation again, our, but instead our ability to create. Again, uh, we won't spend a whole lot of time here, but remember that the, the innate ability each one of us has to be creative. Uh, and us as a human race, a created in the image of God, we have this, uh, this thing inside of us that wants to make something. And I would suggest it's a sign of God's generosity as well. Uh, Every few weeks I have the opportunity to lead the the chapel service over at the long-term care lodge in the hospital there. And, And some of those participants, they have been around a little while. And just think about all they've seen. Think about how the world has changed in the last 80 or 90 or 100 years. Cars, electricity, fridges and freezers, stoves, microwaves, toilets, running water, furnaces. Not to mention the last 10 or 20 years where we've got electronics and computers and cell phones and GPS. All all these amazing things have been created by minds God has given us. So one writer said, Who gave each of these inventors their ability even to think? Endowed in each of us is uh, the ability to discern and rationalize and create and detect need. Logic and creativity come from the hand of a loving God who is extravagantly generous with his creation. And whether that person gives a single nod of credit in the direction of the God who made them, the very ability to dream and plan and design is a God-given ability. George Washington Carver, who invented hundreds of great things including peanut butter, cosmetics, breakfast cereal, shoe polish, plywood, and the dye used in crayons, humbly attributed to his creator his ability to create he would often say, the Lord has guided me in these things. And so as we are uh, heading towards the close, as we're about to wrap up, and when you hop in your car on the way home, take a minute to look around and consider all the things that, that humanity has created and think of them as a reminder that we serve a incredibly generous, loving God. Our four proofs, creation, salvation, redemption, and invention. Well, as we're about to head to the communion table in just a minute, let me maybe ask the second question that comes out of these proofs. What does this mean for us? So what? Great. That's excellent, Sean. Now what? Let me suggest that there are three things that these questions point to for us. The first, again, is that the source of all generosity is our generous God. We can be generous because he is generous. James 1.17, James writes, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Romans 11.36, whoever is given to God, God should, should God repay him? For from him and through him and, all, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. In Acts 17.28, in him we live and move and have our being. The clear message that we want to communicate through uh, this morning, through this series, is this, that we can be generous because God is generous. We can give away anything because he gave his most precious of possessions away. We need this to be clear from the get-go. Every generous act we have, every generous act we perform or engage in is also the generosity of our generous God. The second thing is, let me suggest that that our best life, the the abundant life, the blessed life, is experienced by those who live a generous life. Because these proofs suggest that that our best life is experienced by, by those who are generous. Because God is generous, we too can be generous because he supplies us the ability to do so. And so when we live generous lives, as our our living for the ends God has set for us and for our children, when we we head that direction, when we hear God's voice and we obey, when we love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, we experience that abundant life right here, that blessed life right now. And so this is why God continues to invite us to live a more generous life to hold our things in this world loosely and be ready to give them away because he knows that by living generously we will experience that abundant life. The last thing, the third thing is to to experiment, therefore, with generosity. Test God in this. There's a passage in Malachi chapter 3 where, where the prophet's challenging the people to, to come back to God and reset the things around, their, reorder their lives back to uh, around the temple and, and, and worshiping their God. And God says, listen, uh, test me in this. Bring the tithe and I'll show you that your, he says, your storehouses will be full. The, the drought will end. He doesn't say I'll give you everything you ever wanted. But he says, if you are committed to me, I am committed to you. The blessing will be there. So the, the challenge is for us to strive to be more generous because he is so generous. As we wrestle with this over the next few weeks, we're going to see that, that being generous is a big part of what it means to follow Jesus as well. And so as we experiment with generosity, start praying simple prayers like, hey, where, where am I being generous? And where am I not? Where can I grow in this attitude of generosity? What's God calling me? Uh, Where is God calling me to be more generous? And what does it mean to be more generous with our time and talent and treasure? And how does that help me know Jesus better? What can that mean? What will that mean for my life? Let me pray, and then we'll head to the communion table. God, thank you that you are the ultimate giver. Thank you that you are so generous with us. Thank you that you, you gave us this world that we live in. This amazingly beautiful, fine-tuned, uh, photogenic, just stunning world, maybe especially here that we get to live in. Thank you uh, even more than that, that you love the world so much that you gave Jesus. That for all the ways that we turn and go our own ways, and we hold you at arm length, and we think maybe you're holding out on us, so I'm going to go my own way and try these things, you still continue to pursue us, and you, you sent Jesus. Thank you that... Uh, the, the pain and brokenness and tragedy in this world isn't the end of the story, but you have a way of redeeming those things for your purposes, for your good, to make yourself known even. And we ask that you continue to work those things through uh, in us and in our, in our congregation as well. And we thank you that you have, you have made us the people who think and reason and create. Thank you that that, that points to your generosity as well. And so I ask as, as we uh, wrap and, and wrestle, I pray that you would remind us that, that you are the source of all generosity, that you are our generous God. Uh, remind us that, that you have called us to this life of generosity and, and our best life, the blessed life, the, the, the good life that we talked about from uh, the Sermon on the Mount recently uh, is lived by those who hold on to these things lightly, who store up, uh, as Jesus said, treasure in heaven, not treasure on earth, that are, that are generous with all the things you've been generous with us with. And so remind us as well and, and challenge us to to test you in this. And to be uh, growing in our areas of generosity. Not to make us look good again but because you have done so much for us. And Jesus, as we uh, come to the communion table we thank you that you came. That you are the, the first and most generous gift ever. Thank you that you, you came and you walked this earth just like we did. You you. you we're born as a human. You, you led, you, you taught, you pointed us to the Father and you, you did so without sinning at all. You did so with perfect relationship with, with God and with others and with creation too. You showed us how we can come to God and then you went to the cross for us because we went our own way. You paid the price for that. I thank you that that's not the end of the story, but you were raised three days later as we sang, as we read from the text this morning as well, that that you were raised and you're now seated at the right hand of God, interceding, praying for us, so that as we believe in you, as we trust in you, as we put our hope and our faith in you, we can be called children of God, that we can be given and granted this eternal life, this abundant life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.